we're going to talk about today staying full of God. And uh, I had considered and prayed about starting a series, but seemed like this was a good place to go about staying full of God. And many times we have a lot of ideas about what staying full of God is because a lot of people talk about staying full of God, being full, being full of the Spirit. And uh, so I want to say just a couple of things as we start. When we're talking about staying full of God, this is a message to Christians, not non-believers. That's important. You with me? And I'll explain this. Uh, one must recognize that you're a spirit being. Everybody is a spirit being. Everybody has what we would call an emotional part to us, which is your mind, you, the mental makeup, your emotions, the heart part of you, the core way you process life. And then there's another part of us called the body. And when one takes Jesus and receives him as Lord, that spiritual part is made new. And whether anybody knows it, the whole time they live, the Bible said we're complete in the Lord when we receive him. In other words, there's nothing technically that you need once you have the Lord. Now, I mean, you can get filled with the Spirit and you say, well, I have needs. But all of it technically is supplied. You have the ability to overcome, to win, to, get, to live out everything in your spiritual part. The issue is a person can live their whole life and not really tap into what they have in Christ because they're not full of God. And so maybe you've heard messages about being full of God. Well, maybe throw that aside right now, even if it's something I preached in the past. And we'll just take this for what it is and look at these things. Because, you know, it's so true. You know, if you read the Bible, boy, oh boy, Christians across the board in different churches that were written to in the Bible were totally different. There were some getting drunk in church, when they came for communion. How about that for a communion service? Talk about leaving and going, that was powerful. <laughs> you know what I mean? That was, whoa, whoa. No, but, but you look at all the different things that were in the Bible that Christians were practicing. They were not condoned but why were some accessing things and others not? And things that were rightfully provided to them. And the Bible said, all things are yours in Christ right now. Not you have to try to get them once you get saved. And so we need to realize the spiritual part of us way down inside got recreated in Christ. That's the real you. When you die, that part of you leaves and goes either to heaven or to hell. And you don't go to heaven or hell based on how good you are. Another side thought, when we talk about being full of God right now, the way we're approaching it and going to look at it from the Bible, you cannot be full of God from this standpoint that we talk about today and still go to heaven. Because your spirit can be made new, but you not be full of God the way we're going to talk about it today. Or you can have a religious person who's 
full of God ideas and all this stuff, but their spirit's not made new. When they die, they won't go to heaven. Because what we're talking about is something you work to do. What the Lord gave was free if you would receive him. He would make your inward spirit new, but he doesn't make your mind new. Thank you for that. Or that core way you process that we call the heart. And so with that being said, we need to realize that if we get full of God correctly, individually, this is beyond salvation. If we get full correctly, it will affect our relationships. It'll affect your work. How you do work. It will affect how you experience every avenue of life. I mean, I know people who, have, who are Christians who have people around them all the time and they're totally lonely. Ever met somebody like They're alone and they'll do some bad stuff because they're trying to get attention. But they feel alone, but they've got a crowd around them. Then you have other people who they can be by themselves. They're a Christian, and they're like, I'm good. And they're good with people or without people. What is the difference? It's how really full of God they are in an area. And we'll talk about that because when we talk about being full of God, we're actually talking about, from a Bible viewpoint, is establishing your heart and your soul in the things that are in the Word of God. Now, in Matthew 4, 4, Jesus was speaking here, and he made a real interesting statement. He said, and this is when he was tempted, and the enemy was trying to get him to go aside, follow a different path from his life, and God had a plan, but the enemy had a plan. And the enemy started working against what he wanted. You know, the enemy can do that with people when they're single. Man, I just got to be around. I, I need somebody. He can use that against you if you're not careful, if you're too wanting, where you'll just go for anything. You with me? You need to know, I should say it like this, you need to know the areas you get tempted in and maybe you tend toward getting tempted in as a believer until you get strong because no, he'll, the enemy will try to use those against you. And when you feel the pressure on in those areas, don't count it as God, count it as the enemy. And recognize, the Bible said this, every Christian needs to know how to possess their own vessel, their own life. In other words, there are some things you can't do or shouldn't do that others readily can do, and vice versa, because of how they affect you. And so here in Matthew 4.4, 4, Jesus is being tempted, but he says something profound. And, and remember this, Jesus is called the last Adam, or the second Adam, the first Adam came, and what was one of the first experiences we see with Adam is he is tempted in the wilderness. And one of the first things that Adam faced was this. Is what God said really so? 
Well, what about the, you know what you're missing? You, you know you're missing something. And then turns it so God is like against him. You know, God doesn't want you to know this. Wait a minute. God created him, man. Created us for his pleasure and so that we could be fulfilled walking with him. And the enemy's trying to twist that. Here's Jesus on the scene called the second Adam or the last Adam in 1 Corinthians 15. It talks about that. And here he's being tempted and he's being challenged in the same area of eating. Working toward want and something it will do for you. And then notice this in verse 4. But he answered and said. He didn't just ponder and go, you know what? You're right. He answered and he said, It is written. It is written. He knew the scriptures, and we're talking about staying full of God. And how we stay full of God, I'm not talking about him personally full, but about his things. And one of the most vital things is this, understanding what is written, it's God's book. It's God's standard. God's words are in this book. The integrity of God's word is absolute, whether anybody believes it or not. And the more people who don't believe the integrity of the book, right here, the more people, in other words, the more people not by numbers, but the more people don't believe this, you can mark it down the more they're listening to the devil. Period. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. They have been listening to thoughts that have come to their mind to challenge them concerning what is written. Well, it's an obsolete book. Well, it's not this. No, they're moving away from the integrity of God's word. And they're yielding to something wicked. And they should resist that like they would resist the devil if he appeared to them and said, well, it's not so. Who didn't yield? Jesus. Who did yield? Yield Adam. What, who got the reward and who got it cost? Adam. Mankind. Because he said, well, and he tweaked God's word, changed God's word to his benefit, and started listening to lies and wham, Jesus cut it short and stuck with the word because he knew the integrity of the word of God. The most important thing in all the world is to trust this book. More than any experience you have with Jesus. Or an angel. Or anything. Period. Somebody says, well, that makes no sense. Well, the Bible tells us that angels can come and appear, demons can come and appear to you as an angel of light. Paul wrote to the Corinthians and he said, be careful of receiving another Christ. We know living in this area that there are people who preach different Christs than the one in the book. Am I against experiences? 
No, I believe when we were worshiping God, you could sense him move. I believe he's moving right now while I'm sharing the word of God and challenging people inside. But the way to keep you on course is it is written, period. And if a thought comes and says, it's okay to move away from that, just know where the source of that is, is the devil. I'm not going to make an excuse for that. I mean, if I got off way in the ditch, you could say, he followed the devil. And it's not what I'm planning on doing. But you understand, this isn't a standard for you and not me. It's a standard for mankind. And right here, Jesus was being challenged with the word, you know, and challenged about what he's supposed to do and how he's supposed to do it based on what God said. Now the enemy's saying something. And it was coming as thoughts. And the same thing with Adam. He started challenging the integrity of what God said. That's why I think if, if there's anything in this whole world, if you lost everything, you want this book. Somebody said, no, I want my car. Somebody said, no, I want my blankie. No, you want the book. You can get all the blankets you want and all the cars you want if you get the book and know, but a lot of people haven't looked in here and seen the integrity of God's word. Psalm 1, Joshua 1, and other places tell you the key to prosperity in this life is giving yourself over to this book and giving yourself over to the integrity of the book, meditating in it day and night, not letting it out of your mouth, keeping it in your mouth. And he said, then you will make your way prosperous. In other words, you'll enter in to whatever it is, blessing you need in any area of life. And so we need to realize this. If we're going to stay full of God, you've got to recognize, like Jesus when he said this, it is written. He was challenging and stopping the enemy from advancing in his life by the integrity of God's word. He didn't say, well, I think, or this, or that. He said, it is written. He knew the force and the power of God's written word spoken. And the value of the standard of God's word. Society will change. But the word will never change. And so this book has to be trusted above all things. Jesus said this, you know, a lot of people, you know, when I first got saved, at least a lot of people that I knew when they first got saved wanted to know end time stuff, got to know about the end. I'm just getting started and all, we're going to jump to the end. I need to know how to live now before I get to the end. And I'm for learning about end time stuff. But when Jesus taught about it in Luke 21 and the different places and, and Matthew 24. At the end of Matthew 24, 35, actually it goes further than that. He said, heaven and earth. In other words, this is all going to end, but he said, my word will never pass away. He gave such value to the word. In other words, when he dealt with religious people, he would say, it's written. When he dealt with the devil, he said, it is written. And so notice what he said right here. It is written, man or mankind shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds 
out of or from the mouth of God. Now, we've got a book that is inspired by God. Now, you understand this is, as a whole, the Word of God. It came from God to us. Not every word in here is God literally speaking. Because you read the verse before, the devil said this. So that wasn't God talking, that was the devil. But God inspired everything in this book to be in this book. The words of the devil, the men who, and women who failed or succeeded. So you could go, oh, they failed because of this. They succeeded because of this. Oh, other people go through hard times. But God will make a way. God will lead us out. This is what you must do. I mean, God is so big, he inspired this book. We talk about all the prophecies, you know, that talk about the first coming of Jesus and everything that happened. And you go read, they're profound how many of them there were. You know, there's tons about his second coming and how the world would be right before the end. Why is that? So we can know. The book is God's book and it's inspired. And he said, man shall not live solely by natural things, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. This stuff is God-breathed. I don't care who you are, you need to esteem the book above everything, period. If you're going to walk with God and you're going to have faith and you're going to live and walk a life of faith, I don't care what anybody says. The book is it. And we should reverence it and respect it highly. It's not obsolete. I guarantee you this. People who don't esteem the word of God, their faith is feeble and weak. Period. Somebody said, no, no, that's not true. No, because faith only comes by hearing the word of God. And if you don't esteem the word of God, then fundamentally what you should be taking in is feeble. You understand what I'm saying? In other words, what you're taking in, you're questioning. You're not putting the word where it needs to be. You're not going, yeah, that's it. So when you take it in, you're taking it in like, well, maybe, maybe not. That's what you're putting in you. That's why your faith is feeble. Because you have not lifted the word to where God is. And God and his word are one. And if you would esteem the book to the right place, it would fortify your faith. It would make you get strong in God. It would. Flat out, you would go, ugh. But if you're questioning and challenging and starting to accept the words of the enemy, or like the world does, their faith will not be strong because they'll go, well, whatever to this stuff that's written... Even though they may quote a verse or know more verses than us. You with me? They've, they've listened to the enemy. Challenge the book. So when it comes in them, it doesn't come in with force. They would not step out of the boat if Jesus said come. Because they would not value the word from the Lord. 
they don't take it with full force. They don't accept it as that thing that Jesus just said come is God's word. So Peter just jumped right out and started walking on the water. Then he turned his focus away, got it on the problem, and he began to sink. When he first accepted it as God's word or a word from the Lord, he was in business. But so if people don't accept this as a word from God, their faith will be feeble. Period. If you'll just get to the place and determine this is it, your life will be different. I know a guy who was crippled and had a deformed heart and chest cavity. He said his biggest struggle and where he, one of his biggest things in overcoming when he got healed, he said was, he said, Lord, I'm going to take your book and whatever your book said, I'm going to believe every word. I don't care. And he lived his life that, like that later on, but he literally got healed. Physically reformed, cured of like a leukemia type of thing, and on and on. Many people don't know this, but Billy Graham, before he really took off, he had a struggle with the book. People had come around him and said, you know, the book is not relative anymore. It's just not a book to be followed. And he started questioning it, and he said his faith got weak. And he said uh, he came to a crossroads, and this was before he became known. And he said, I got aside with the Lord, and he said, Lord, is this your book or not? There's so many voices out there talking to me. Little did he know those voices were inspired by the wicked one. And he realized I've got to come to a place and he said there's so many voices he said Lord I've known you in the past I've known your word in the past I just got to get by all this I'm going to take your word for what it is and this settles it today from that time forward he said his ministry exploded well why he put God's word in a place that was elevated and began to step on it and his faith became strong and he started seeing miracles. You with me? So he said, it's by every word of God. And Jesus said, it is written. We need to recognize this, that the word is the word. Turn to Matthew 6. That's the first thing if you're going to get full of God. I don't care who you are. Now you can see here, I'm not talking about getting saved or giving your life to the Lord and having a new spirit. I'm talking about the attitudes by which you live this life. And it's amazing to me how many people make fun of the word. You know, it's value, it's integrity. And, you know, and then, then the people who don't even walk with God will go, well, there's so many contradictions, and then they'll pull out the one, you know, don't eat shrimp, you know, or don't eat this, you know, Leviticus says. I think, oh my goodness. And then they'll twist it, and they'll, they'll go, you know, I mean, there's a lot of things. They'll twist it, and I think, dude, Don't you know, I mean, they read one scripture, they don't know that there's a covenant God formed with Abraham. 400 something years later, 
there's another covenant. It's called the one of the law or the, the covenant that Moses brought. It's the one that the Ten Commandments came. It said that one, there was fault and there was a new covenant coming. In that one, in that covenant, not the one that Abraham had that lasted and superseded the whole thing and actually still exists today. In that covenant that the Bible said is dissolved and done away with is where it said don't eat that. See, some people should have said amen because bacon is connected to that. <laughs> Let's try that again. When it said, you know, that was done, the shrimp, you know, you could eat that, bacon was connected. Oh, come, you, I know more people eat bacon. <laughs> but people don't read the book. They don't know. And so they make fun of it and they try to tear away at its value they just don't know what's in there, and they don't know the value that will affect your faith. Matthew 6, verse 22, we're talking about staying full of God. Notice this, the lamp of the body is the eye. The lamp of the body is the eye. Let me stop right here. There's something that came around, I don't know, maybe 30 years ago, 40. It may have been around longer than that. But people got these things they had put in their home. They're like a tube. And they would go through the roof, you know. Does anybody remember, you know, those things that have like a little cap of light on top? And no matter what, I mean, it just goes right down into your kitchen or living room. It's like a little tube, and it just brings a bunch of light in. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Like a skylight type of thing. I've seen them around in different neighborhoods. Some people are shaking their head no. You need to get out more. <laughs> but basically, it, there's above this ceiling, there's like about a nine-foot space. It'd be like a tube from the top, and there's like clear glass or whatever over it, not literally probably plexiglass. And then it, what it does is it brings that light in and shoots it down all the time. In other words, it's a channel for light to travel through. Just like if you're walking in a tunnel and it's real dark in the back and you look toward the front, light will travel in. So let's look at this. The lamp of the body or the way light travels into the body is through the eye. And he's not talking about literal light. But we do know if you close your eyes, it does get dark. And we do know if your eyes are closed, it gets harder to walk. Notice this. If therefore your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, and literally it reads single, but if your eye is bad, or your eye is single, or focused on one thing, the whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad or focused on bad, your whole body or your whole being will be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? In other words, if all you've got is darkness in you, you're in trouble. Now, here's the issue. Who is responsible for them being full of light or darkness? 
is it, God? Just, just fill me with light, Lord. Just, just fill. I don't want to be filled with darkness, so I'm going to this movie. I know it's X-rated, but fill me with light. You're not getting full of light. In other words, wherever you give your attention, and he's not talking about, you know, like living in this world and you go into the mall and there's a song and it's singing bad words, you got to run out or scream so you don't hear it. No, he's talking about what you do with your mind, the way you focus with your life, what you look to, what you imagine, what you ponder. This stuff that we're talking about will affect your prayer life. It will affect every area. We need to realize what I focus on mentally is important. When he talks about the eye being single, every believer needs to do what I'm talking about right now. You need to know the word. You need to read the Bible. I'm not talking about, you know, you can't do anything else, and we're going to talk about that in a minute. But... You need to use your mind and make it single. What do I mean? When you're driving around, you should use your imagination. You should see yourself praying prayers to God. Then use your mind and picture God moving and working on that immediately. Most people pray and think, God didn't do anything. No, your mind, your eye needs to be single. You need to fill yourself full of light. So much so that if you read prayers in the Bible where it said, everyone who asks receives, you should be single with your eye. You should drive around, walk around, do whatever you're doing when you're doing housework, when you're doing different things. Picture God working when you pray. Picture him doing stuff strong in every situation. You should be single-minded that way. You should picture this. You should use your imagination and think when I speak words. And picture yourself doing this. When I speak words and speak God's word, God's words are full of power. They go out and hit things. They affect things. You should do that. You should be single-minded. But many people speak, never have done this. They're not full of light inside. And they try to make their words work. And then they picture them not working. Before you ever use your words, you should be walking around thinking, man, God's words are so powerful in themselves. That's why the enemy doesn't want you to trust them. And and picture them like it's dynamite or nuclear bombs or just whatever, powerful, and picture those words that you've heard of in there, and you're not, when I release them, picture them going out and attacking whatever they need to attack, a problem or making a path smooth, and start doing that. Start picturing. God did that with Abraham and different people. He said, you know, when Abraham struggled with his faith at first, we know that. Eventually, he didn't look at the problem anymore, and he only looked at the answer, but look what God did to him. He said, come out of your tent and look up at the stars. Can you count them? He said, they're innumerable, God. He said, so it will be with your descendants. Then he said, come, look at the sand over here. See how many? It's innumerable. That's how your descendants will be. God left him with an image so he could keep seeing it the right way. You need to see God working on your behalf. You need to picture 
that I'm new inside. God has washed me. God has created me new. See yourself. It's a reality in the spirit. But we're talking about being full of God. You need to picture yourself full of divine life. God put his life in you when you receive the Lord. And I'm not talking, I'm talking about being single-minded. I mean, you do this till the point you are so persuaded, not by experience, because we have experiences, and then we go, woo-hoo, man, God's in me now. And then all of a sudden we're down. You know why we're down? We're living from experience to experience, the thing that will build the smooth road is what I'm talking about in between experience. And it will actually drive experience. Because you just picture yourself, man, God lives in me. See God living in you. He lives in heaven, but when you asked him to come into your heart and to live in you, he said you became his dwelling place. Do you see yourself? Is your eye single? Do you use your imagination? God, I don't know how you did it, but you put your spirit in me. You're in me powerfully. Well, if you approach problems that way after your eye is single for a period of time, you're going to go, glory to God, I'm praying for this. It's working. And then if you don't see anything, you're not even moved. You're now walking by faith and not by sight, like the Bible said, because your eye is single. You with me? Your eye has to be. Notice, he said, if the eye is single, the whole body or your whole being will be full of light. Well, when he's talking about being single, he's talking about you using your noodle because your spirit has God in it, in it. You have new life when you receive the Lord. Your sins are washed away. But have you ever seen yourself cleansed? Have you ever seen yourself dead to sin? Have you ever imagined and thought, I have no appetite for sinful stuff? You could be sinning and realize he is already washing. I have no appetite. And keep your mind there. I guarantee you that will rise up and dominate you. The word singleness in the Greek literally means of purpose. And it keeps us. Singleness of purpose or singleness means singleness of purpose that keeps us from the snare of having a double treasure. He said, what do you mean a double treasure? We're about to look at that. A double treasure and consequently a divided heart. Remember Jesus talked about having a good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good things. He told us how to get that. But before we do, I want to turn to 1 Timothy 6. We live in a society that will not want you to be single-minded. That will not want you to use your mind appropriately when there's so many distractions. You know, you can get a boat, you can get a car, you can get a truck, you can get off-road vehicles, you can get a helicopter. When, I mean, you can, get whatever, you can get whatever you want here. When I lived in Gold Canyon, there were people that had those things that look like a, it's a big propeller, and then it has like a parachute. And it's got like three wheels. No, it's not an ultralight. It's like a parachute thing. And they launch them and they fly around. It's all ring. And I'm like, I want one of those. Then I was like, no, nah, for 20 grand, I probably don't. Because I thought, then I'd fly by myself. And it would be cool, but there's so many things we can do 
right? And so notice this in 1 Timothy, because we're talking about keeping full of God. You know, you've got a bass boat. Can you stay full of God and have a bass boat? Can you stay full of God and have a camper? Can you stay full of God and go to the beach? Can you stay full of God and do certain things? Some people will and some won't. It's more up to the individual, and it's doing what I'm talking about. 1 Timothy 6, verse 17. Don't condemn me yet. Don't close the door. Don't come to opinions Let's read. Command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty, so it's okay to be rich, nor trust in uncertain riches, but trust in the living God. Notice this phrase, who gives us richly all things to enjoy. If you got a quad, does the Lord want you to enjoy that? Yeah. If you got a bass boat, does God want you to enjoy that? Yeah. If you got a hobby of making clay sculptures, does God want you to enjoy that? Yeah. Whatever it is, you're into bike riding. Does God want you to enjoy that? Yeah. Notice he gives them to enjoy it, but I found this. If people don't approach these things correctly, they end up being their Lord, and they, God no longer fills their heart, like he said. You have a danger of a double treasure. Notice it didn't say you shouldn't have these things. Now, I do believe you need to de- listen to God in your relationship, and if everybody else is getting a boat and the Lord deals with you, don't, don't. And if everybody else is getting this thing, and the Lord deals with you and you know it, then don't until he gives you the green light. And if he doesn't, stay away from it. He knows how your heart operates. And he's not robbing you. He's working for your better. But what if I have these things? Here's what you need to do while you're using them and enjoying them. Be single minded. The reason people make hobbies their Lord, so to speak, I've seen people fill their life. You know, I took up tennis, so I can't go to church on Sundays anymore. You know what you just told me? You didn't just take up tennis. Tennis consumed you. Your eye is no longer single. You're allowing it a place that it should not have. When you're out playing tennis, you should be single-minded. You should enjoy tennis, but at the same time, you should be thinking on God at times. Maybe not the whole time, but you should be heavenly-minded, picturing God is helping you. God is in you. God is working in your life. He's, in other words, some people use these hobbies to get away from worry. No, we're not commanded. They should never be that. They should just be enjoyed. You should be single-minded. The reason why people are full of worry is they're focusing on the wrong thing. 
Thank you. So is it bad to have a boat and to fish? Only if the Lord says. But if you've got one and you're out there, where is your mind? Are you all frustrated about fish? Why don't you picture God working on your behalf? When I used to fish, I knew the scriptures in the Old Testament that said, I gave you dominion over the fish of the sea and the fowl of the air. And I thought, I don't care about the fowl of the air right now as long as they don't poop on me. I'm going for the fish. And if I got dominion, I'm going to claim fish. Some people say, well, I just like being out here. I just like getting out and talking. I said, we could do that at home. I'm here to get fish. I didn't come to go wishing. I came fishing. You with me? But my thing is, is, is have I spent four hours and never given a thought to the Lord while I'm doing the thing that I'm supposed to be enjoying, and now the, my whole focus is on that? It's a discipline to be full of God. You can be out there in your boat and think, man, God, you live in me right now. And you can fish and do your thing or ski or whatever or be off hiking. I mean, I do that when I hike. I, I think, like, I'll go up and I'll be praying. I'll come down and I'll be thinking, meditating or declaring truths. But if you want to be full of God, you've got to keep a single mind. Notice this. Remember, we, we read that de definition. Singleness means to keep us from the snare of having a double treasure and consequently a divided heart. Consequently, a divided heart. In other words, if my focus is not primarily single, then what happens is uh, my heart starts getting full of other things and I start getting drawn. Notice this, we'll close with these verses. Uh, Luke 6.45. You with me? Luke 6.45. This will not happen to you overnight, good or bad. Here's what you need to know about your heart as you turn to Luke 6.45. Here's what you need to know. Your heart is made like a field. Whatever you plant in it, will start to grow. When you're out doing your hobby, you should be thinking, man, God. You should be thinking His power. You should be thinking He loves me. You should be pondering, I'm washed, I'm clean. I belong to Him. There's a greater purpose than this. But God put all... I believe God made waves so people could swim in and enjoy them. I believe God made snow not only so that it would hold water and melt through the hot time to give us something to drink and to irrigate with. I believe he made it so you could also enjoy it. I believe that. I believe God made the lumber for us to harvest it. But I believe he made the trees like they are so we could go look and enjoy the beauty. But how many people have thought, well, that's where I find God. No, that's where you enjoy what God made. You keep your mind and your focus and your thoughts on him and how he works. 
then your heart will be single and it will be not full of a double treasure. Notice this, Luke 6, 45. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good. And an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart brings forth evil. Notice this in the NIV. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart. An evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. You know, your heart can be full of fear. It can be full of different things. If you want to get over fear and you're a believer, here's what you need to do. Get your mind on God and how powerful he is. And look at that thing as a demon, because the Bible calls it a spirit of fear. Look at it as like a demon that's totally afraid of God and afraid of the God who lives in you. Start imagining him running away. So that seems foolish. Well, you're supposed to keep a single eye. And the Bible said if you'll resist the devil, he'll flee from you. So you need to start picturing that and getting that image in you and start being single-minded. Wherever you're at, just... You were not looking for demons. Let's start seeing them flee. Start picturing them running from you. The minute you start talking, they go. And I'm not, these are small areas. But people haven't done this, so they don't have a good treasure in their heart to bring forth things. James said this in James, the third chapter, the second and fourth verse. He said, the tongue controls your whole life. Just like the bit in a horse's mouth, just like a rudder on a big, huge ship, even though it's small, it does the whole thing. But here, he said, if you're single and you put a treasure in you, eventually that will dominate your mouth. And that will create life for you. Everybody can do this, but it's the discipline. This, this isn't legalism, like, well, you can't do anything good. You can't have fun. You're a Christian, you know. No, he gave us these things. But when you're doing them, what are you doing? When you're different, one of the reasons why I'm not a huge movie person is they demand time for you to think on what they want, and I'm thinking I don't want to. Now, I'm not saying don't go to a movie, but some of it is just so contrary to God, you should get up and walk out. Well, amen to that. We'll just move on. It's, it's either we keep preaching or I take up the offering. No, we need to stay single-minded. And we're going to take up the offering. Amen. You should get single-minded about the offering. You should think when you give money, you should be picturing at different times during the week. When I give money, it's like a seed that's planted in the ground. And just picture it growing and producing. Because that's what's happening in the Spirit. But what happens is that's not in people's heart. So they curse the seed they sow and say, that doesn't work. You know why they believe it doesn't work? That's what's in their heart. That's why it came out of their mouth. But if they would get single-minded, you could get healed, you could get delivered, you could walk in peace. 
and then truly enjoy the things in the context God wants you to enjoy. I'm not saying, hey, next week we're taking up an offering, get, bring your boats, bring your jet skis, your off-road vehicles, and if anybody's got one of those things with the propeller, with the thing, bring that for sure, give those up. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm saying give up your mental time to fully being engaged in it. Not don't engage in it, just don't give all your time to it, even when you're doing it. Thank you for your excitement. But God's good, and He's working. This will help every one of you. Amen?